We're Luke chapter number one. We're there, if you would please. And just a quick reminder, if I could share with you. The book of Luke is the uh, third book of our New Testament. The Bible is one book with 66 books inside of it. Luke is the third book of the new part of the Bible. We have 39 books, the Old Testament, written before Jesus came. 27 New Testament books are written after Jesus went back to heaven. Luke was most likely a Gentile. He was not Jewish, and he wrote primarily to the Gentiles. 60% of all he said in the book of Luke is unique about the life of Jesus. So he definitely, uh, not that Mark or Matthew or John did not do their homework. They, uh, those, uh, John was certainly eyewitness of everything that Jesus did. But they were inspired by God to write a different perspective of Jesus. It was like Jesus in the middle of the intersection and each of the disciples, excuse me, each of the gospels are writing about him from a different perspective. One, Matthew saw him as the king. Mark looked at him and saw him as a servant. John saw him as God. And Luke saw him as man. And he gave us the longest of the four Gospels and the second, uh, one of two longest books of the, uh, of the New Testament. It's an amazing servant of Christ. He is writing both the book of Luke and the book of Acts, two books that God used this medical doctor to write under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God, all the scriptures written by God. We believe that, that man were used a tool, just like I wrote some letters this morning with my pen. I don't know what I did with my pen. Oh, it's in my pocket here. Here it is. But I wrote some letters this morning with this pen, but I moved the pen what I wanted to say. We believe Luke was a pen used by the Lord, and he inspired what he wanted to say. But God allows each of those unique instruments each of the 40 different people that God used to write one of the 66 books of the Bible to have their own personality. Amos, he was a farmer. Um, Moses, he grew up in a palace and lived as a shepherd. David was a king. Uh, Peter was a fisherman. Ezra was a scribe. David was a king. Solomon was a king. Each of them had different, uh, different uh, aspects. Matthew was a, he worked for the Roman IRS. <laughs> he was a tax collector. They had different, different jobs that God pulled them out of, but he used them to write. Luke, very thorough. He introduced a lot of things that we would not know had he not done his homework. We think when he, when, when Paul was traveling on his missionary journeys, Luke was no doubt probably a convert from Macedonia or maybe from Asia. He was a medical doctor and he traveled with the Apostle Paul. While Paul was arrested in, in Jerusalem, he was extradited over to Caesarea, which is about 60 miles away from Jerusalem on the coast. There at the, uh, the palace of Agrippa, who visited there, and Felix and Festus, the kings of the day, he stayed in their prison. While there, it looks like Luke spent a lot of time investigating the early life of the Lord Jesus Christ, what preceded his life in Zechariah and, and Elizabeth and John the Baptist. He gives us a lot of information that uh, God wanted us to know. And I am so glad we're taking time to go through the book of Luke. He writes to a fellow named Theophilus. Theophilus means a friend of God or a lover of God. He probably is a wealthy man who has a position in the Roman Empire, but he's a Christian. And we believe possibly he could have financed Luke's work with Paul and said, you know what, forget your physician work. I'll take care of you if you'll take care of God's man. 
And he traveled with him and then, of course, gathered lots of information. Some eyewitnesses. He looked through the book of Acts. Some of it he investigated later as a result of his uh, prowess and his acumen and his gifts. But now we find in the book of Luke, the, uh, Luke introduces us to Zacharias and Elizabeth, the mother and father of the miraculous birth of John the Baptist. After a time when they should not have been able to have children, they had John the Baptist. He was a priest of the, of the tribe of Levi, and Gabriel came and met him and told him, you're going to have a son. Your prayer is heard. And, and he hadn't prayed that prayer in a long time. But it was a prayer of delay that God answered for him in a later time, and he became the dad. Elizabeth his, uh, is John the Baptist's mom. Elizabeth and Mary are related some way. Even though they come from two different tribes, one from Judah and the other one from the tribe of Levi, they have some relation, probably because of marriage, intermarriage between the tribes, but they are related. And both of them will have a miraculous birth of their child. And uh, one, John the Baptist. Well, whenever uh, they were notified, he finished his priest work. He went back to the Judean hills, not very far probably from Jerusalem, where Zacharias and Elizabeth lived. She hid herself for five months, the Bible said, just kind of sitting on this miraculous birth that God had for her. While she was there hiding herself and staying at home while Zacharias was doing his work, the, the Lord sent Gabriel, the messenger archangel, to go to Mary, a young lady who was young, most likely. She could have been 15, 18. She could have been maybe in her early 20s, but most believe that she was in her late teens. She was young, but devoted to the Lord. By the way, if you're young, devote yourself to the Lord. Don't wait till you're old like Brother Ray Young or Brother Eddie over here. No. Don't wait till you're old. Uh, when you're young, give your life to the Lord your whole life. She was young and she was faithful to the Lord. I also say she was pure. Very, very uh, obviously throughout the, this time, you'll see that she was noted for her purity, her virginity. Uh, she was pure in her morals. She was pure in her motives. And she was great in the sight of the Lord. God had certainly had helped her. And she now is approached by Gabriel. And she, he comes to her and tells her, you are going to have a baby. And he goes, how could this happen? I, I don't even know a man. He goes, yeah, but the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. And the child you're going to have is going to be a miraculous child. And that is going to be the Son of God. And, of course, we studied on Wednesday night about the meaning of the virgin birth. Uh, most people, uh, I hope, believe in the virgin birth. If every once in a while you find someone, and usually they're a theologian, someone who supposedly studied the Bible, and they think it's just a myth. But if you don't have a virgin birth, you've got issues about having a Savior. The reason he needed to be virgin born is multiple reasons. But I'll just remind you, as we learned today in our discipleship lesson, and Brother Steve will go over tonight on Wednesday night, or excuse me, on Sunday night here at 5 o'clock in our, in our introduction lesson of understanding salvation. And that is, we get our sin nature from Adam. When Adam sinned, the Bible says, the first man, the first woman, when they sinned, so then death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. See, all of us have the same thing in common. Regardless of the pigment of our skin or our origin or nationality or our social status or economic gifts, all of us have something that's very common. We all have a human dad. 
And our dad had a dad, and his dad had a dad, and everybody has a dad going back to Adam. And when Adam sinned, death passed upon all sin. All men, all of us have a nature for sin. We have a component inside of us. Now we sin by nature, we also sin by choice. Just like our children, my wife and I, the Lord's given us nine children. We don't have to teach them how to lose their temper. And tell them tomorrow we'll work on showing you how to be lazy. <laughs> and we're going to teach you how to lie. It all comes natural to them because they have a nature for sin. But we also have a choice for sin. People can't just say, well, I just like to kill people, so I just kill people. It's part of my nature. You know, no, you have a choice to do that. You know, I, I lose my temper. I just cuss like a sailor. That's just how I am. I just cuss. I just cuss. No, no, you have a nature to do that, but you also have a choice to do that or a choice not to do that. We sin by nature and by choice. And part of that is because we were born with that nature. And that's why there's no one else could ever pay for my sin. Salvation does not come through baptistry waters. It does not come through a church or an organized religion. Salvation cannot come through you or for me, because if I died for your sin, I couldn't pay for your sin or mine either one. No, we needed someone who was without sin. And that's why Jesus had to be born without a human father. Because had a man like Joseph or any other man been his father, he would have been a sinner. And if he's a sinner, he couldn't pay for our sin. And so he had to have a miraculous birth. And very, from the very beginning of time, when God uh, saw that Adam and Eve had sinned, he said it would be the seed of a woman that would bruise his head, Satan's head. It would have to be a virgin-born child. And of course, back in Isaiah chapter 7, this shall be a sign to you. A virgin would conceive and bear a son. It was a very important. Because the miracle of the virgin birth tells us three things about Jesus. Number one, he, reve he reveals God to us. He's the revelation of God. Number two, he's the ruler of the universe. He, he made all things, and by him all things consist, because he's the virgin-born son of God. But the most important thing I know about the virgin birth is that because Jesus was innocent, and I'm guilty, and you're guilty, uh, the most important thing about the virgin birth is because he was innocent, it was Jesus the innocent who died for us the guilty. He can reconcile me and you to his father. And I, I live not too far away from here, but if you walked into my house and I didn't know you, and you just opened the door and came in and sit across the living room from me, I would just say, what in the world do you think you're doing? Let's have this conversation out on the sidewalk. We would, I would escort you out because I don't know who you are. But if you came in behind any of our seven sons, we would accept you. I would, I would know less about you if, that's, if, they just, if you came in behind my sons. Dad, this is my friend. I said, well, have a seat. I would accept you because of my son. And the only way God can accept us is because of his sinless son, Jesus Christ. That's why the Bible says if you have the son, you have everlasting life. If you don't have the son, you don't have everlasting life. You can have your name on a roll of a church. You can have a baptism certificate and die and go to hell. You can sing in the choir and you can play an instrument. You can help be an usher. You can do all kinds. You can help Olays walk themselves across the street every day of your life and still die and go to hell because nothing that you and I can do will give us acceptance before a holy God unless we come into his presence with Jesus Christ. You ever seen those signs that say, got milk? You need to have Jesus. <laughs> you can leave the milk. Make sure you get Jesus. 
And I think it's wonderful to have both of those, milk and Jesus. It's wonderful, especially if you've got a brownie or something like that to eat with that. Make sure you have the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we find that the Lord Jesus uh, is... Uh, is, is uh, Mary finds out she's going to have a baby, and the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow her. And uh, so she gets that news, and uh, she accepts it. Look, if you would, please, if you would, we've, we've read these verses in previous times, but let's look quickly at verse number 37 of chapter 1. Are you there? Luke 1, verse 37. Uh, read it with me. For with God, nothing, isn't that a wonderful God you have, that nothing is too hot possible for Him? Listen, if he can bring his son from the grave, then he can do anything else that needs to be done. If he, can, if he can let an older lady like Elizabeth have a baby in her old age, he certainly can do a virgin birth. That's not hard for him. Nothing's impossible to God. It's a wonderful thing about God. And how can sinners like us be reconciled to him? Because he, he knows how to bring solutions. I love that verse. I don't like the first part of the verse, but the Bible tells in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, for the wages of sin is, but there's a gift of God. And that gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Uh, yeah, we're in trouble with the Holy God, but God has a gift. He has a provision. He has an option for us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 38, would you look there? Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord... Be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. You know, Mary would have a very difficult life to some extent. She would probably have at least six more children after Jesus. But everything would be about Jesus. Her life would change. Matter of fact, if you like the book of James or the book of Jude, they were written by Jesus' little brothers. They shared the same mother but had a different dad. And uh, their dad was Joseph and Jesus' dad was God. But her life would change. As a matter of fact, even 30 years later, and she may have been 45 or 48 years old, whenever they approached Jesus, they said to him, you were born out of fornication. It was a, it was a, a blot that she wore in her life. People thought that she was immoral and she was a fornicator and that she had a child out of wedlock. It wasn't true. But everyone thought that about her, and she bore that very difficult stigma upon her life. And her life would be very, she would be able to have great privilege to be the, the instrument God would use to bring Jesus into the world. But it would not come with ease. It would come with adjustment. It would come with moving to Egypt for a while running for the life of her child and her. It would be living in, a, in the other side of the track of Nazareth. It would mean coming down to, to Bethlehem to register to pay taxation. It would be having a baby in a cave or a barn. It would be having lots of things that would happen to her that she would not understand, but she would ponder in her heart. She would be meeting a man named Simeon in the, in the temple when she dedicated Jesus 40 days after his birth. And an old man would come and take her out of his arms and, and say, Now my eyes have seen thy salvation. By the way, he wasn't looking at a baptistry when he said that. He was looking at a person. Salvation is in the person of Jesus. And and. Uh, he would prophesy. He would look her in her little eyes and say to her, Ma'am, boy, the rise and fall of Jerusalem is going to rest in this baby. 
And it's going to pierce you like a sword going through you. And she's probably thinking, whoa, what is he talking about? She would remember that 33 years later when they watched them pierce her son, beat him, and punch him, and mutilate his body, lifting between heaven and earth so you and I could have a bridge to God. But it would pierce her. and She would carry the stigma of, of an immoral woman even though she wasn't immoral. But you know, when all this was said and done, she didn't know all was in her future, but when she got the word from God, here's what she said, be it unto me according to your word. She accepted what God had chosen for her. This morning, I think we have some people in this room. There's some difficult things that you've come and you just fight it. You fight it. You fight it. When you ought to say to God in heaven, be it unto me. If this is the lot you've chosen me, if you've chosen to take this person from me, if you've chosen to have me live this life, I still have God. I still have Christ. I still have the Holy Spirit. I still have his precious word. I'll accept this lot in life. If it's loneliness, if it's difficulty, if it's rejection, if it's bias against you, whatever it might be, it would be a good day when you and I, instead of fighting our opposition to embrace our opposition, the Bible says, let your conversation in Hebrews chapter 13 be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have, knowing this, that God will never leave you nor forsake you. Listen, if you have God, you say, well, I don't have this. I want this to come. Why hasn't this happened to me? Many folks find bitterness and they go through their life for years and years. Their, their purpose is just to turn against God. How are you liking that? Is that, is that making you happy out there? Are you happy that, that you have turned into a bitter person? Trying to excuse the God of his word and his loving kindness to you just because you don't think something happened the way you ought to, ought to happen to you? Mary took in a very wonderful opportunity, but a grave and very difficult challenge. One that you and I would not want as a mom. But she did it and she accepted it. There are some folks in this room and maybe watching on live stream that you ought to accept what God's given to you. Quit complaining. Quit crying. Quit putting all your stuff on Facebook and telling how bad it is to be you. Knock it off. Once you find God and say, Lord, thank you. I'll accept what's happened to me. I still have you. I still have your word. I still have your spirit. Quit walking around your lower lip and complaining about everything that's bad. You've had a lot of good days. God's been good to you. He's been good to me. Mary realized this. Number one, she accepted what, what had come her way. She said, be done to me. Whatever you said for me, I'll take it. I'll accept it. Well, that's an important thing. Number two, she made her way to her, a godly person that would help her. Would you look at the, verse, the passage of Scripture? Verse number 39 and Mary arose in those days and went to the hill country and with haste. What do you think with haste means? She didn't waste too much time. After she got this information, she left and went to the hill country with haste and uh, into the city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. She came and saluted Elizabeth and great, great, great her, greeted her cousin. And it came to pass when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth, would you read the rest of the verse with me? I am so grateful 
for great friends in my life, especially after accepting maybe a difficult challenge that would love me and help me. I'm thankful for spirit-filled people. I had a man today tell me, Pastor Wilkerson, I want you to know it's sometimes at 2 in the morning, sometimes it's at 1.30, sometimes it's at 3. But God brings you to my heart when I wake up and I can't rest because of whatever reason. I pray for you. You know, I thank God for spirit-filled prayers. And I'm not, I'm not the issue. I say it more personally because I, I'm talking today. But boy, thank God for spirit-filled friends. How many of you got a spirit-filled friend in your life that loves the Lord? and You can go to them and you can, you can minister. They can minister to you. They can pray for you. They can lift you up when you have a difficult season. I'm so glad that Mary, when she got what was, what was, what was planned for her, she, she accepted it. Number two, she found a spiritual Spirit-filled friend, and she went to her. But where do you go with your problems? Where do you go when you're overwhelmed? Let me just tell you, he that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Be careful. One of the most important things, Apostle Paul said it like this, be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. You can lay with dogs, but you will get fleas. You hang around the wrong kind of people and you get advice from the wrong kind of people, you're going to find yourself in a mess. You better find a spirit-filled person to get help from. It's important. Especially when maybe God's giving you a difficult task, a challenging situation. She went to a spirit-filled friend and there he helped her. And of course, you know the story. I won't rehearse that. But I will say this, that, that Mary, that Elizabeth when she heard the voice of Mary. Now, Mary had to go probably close to 90 miles as a young, brand-new expecting mother. And uh, she would go from the northern part, we're in Nazareth, and she would make her way down to the Judean hills. And she came down there, probably took her two or three, four days maybe, traveling there. And when she came and knocked on the door to to greet her Elizabeth. She went there because the Spirit of God and, uh, and, and Gabriel told her that, that this has happened too. So she knew now that her cousin was pregnant. She, would been, she had been uh, secluded herself for five months, and she went. She went there and found out that she was there. She knocked on the door. She spoke, and Elizabeth, are you here? And she, when she heard her voice, the babe leaped in her womb. Some of you girls who've carried babies, you know, that, uh, that, that feeling inside of you. I don't think this was just a little bit of movement. This was a leap. I'm sure she probably had to catch her breath. Whoa, what happened there? And, but the, she said, hey, when I heard your voice, you are going to be carrying the Christ child. She already knew that. I think because she was filled with the Spirit, she knew something special. And she took in Mary. Mary stayed with her the next three months, the Bible tells us, probably until the birth of John the Baptist. She stayed with her, secluded, probably went back to uh, the area there where she was from and, and married, officially moved in with Joseph because Joseph would get the information in Matthew chapter 1. But I want you to notice the third thing about Mary. Not only did she accept what God had given her, she commune with a godly, spirit-filled friend. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing. When you have a little bit more questions and answers, find someone who loves Jesus Christ. Find someone who loves the Scriptures. Find someone who is spirit-filled. And you have them. You, God will put them in you. You say, Pastor, I don't know who to do it. You start praying. You start looking. God's going to start helping you. The third thing she did that I love is she 
uh, had a heart of praise. We have here these words that uh, Brother Young read with us a moment ago. It's called Mary's Magnificent or her magnification of God. I don't have time this morning to go through the whole thing, but let's just look at it point by point. Let me point out a few things to you I think will be helpful to you. After uh, Elizabeth confirms that she's going to be the mother of Jesus, and she knows that, she'll stay there for the next three months, but the Bible looks like she just broke out in praise. There are 15 references to the Old Testament in this prayer of praise. It's titled after Deborah's prayer. Probably someone said maybe it's Miriam's prayer. But I think most people would say that in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, it's most like Hannah's prayer of praise when she found out she's going to have Samuel. And she models that. But she, you can tell when she had talked and praised to God, she knew a little bit about God. You can always praise Him better when you know Him better. And you'll know Him by your understanding of God's Word. If you're ignorant of the Bible and you want to stay that way, you'll have a hard time praising God effectively. And Psalms is one of the best places to go to praise the Lord. Oftentimes when I gather with people to pray, I'll have someone, would you open us up with a prayer of praise? Because they enter into His gates with thanksgiving and to His courts with praise. Well, all powerful prayer is packed with praise. Don't try to say that four times fast. But the truth of the matter is, everyone who prays effectively will include praise. And Mary knew God. Let's look at it real quickly, and our time will go by so fast. Verse number 46. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. We see her focus. Her focus was not herself. Her focus was the Lord. It's interesting. Some, some religions make Mary and create her as though she was sinless. She had a human father. She was a sinner. And she didn't magnify herself. She magnified the Lord. Verse 47. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my... Did, did, a, did Mary need a Savior? Yes, because she was a sinner and she was going to birth the Messiah. And that became her Savior. Look at verse number 48. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. And behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. Because I am very low. She, we see her humility. But... Her recognition that whatever she would be, it was because of the God of heaven. He had seen her humility and exalted that. We'll see it on the next verse, if you would please. Verse 49, he that hath, I mean, for he that is mighty hath done great things, and holy is his what? Name. He goes on to, she goes on to praise his person, his ability, his name, and his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. Uh, aren't you glad that we're many generations from Jesus, but we still know Him? And He still reveals Himself to us? I love that. Verse number 51, the Bible says this, He has showed strength with His arm. When you use the word arm in the Bible and refers to God's arm, it's talking about His power. He has demonstrated His power. He has scattered the proud in the imaginations of their heart. He has put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them from low degree. He puts down some others. He, he lifts up those who are humble. Verse 53, would you read it with me? He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich. You know, God is the great equalizer. That's what he's saying. One of the things that makes people frustrated sometimes is because they don't understand God. And they don't understand why do the wicked seem to prosper and the godly seem to struggle. And they build a case against God. 
But Mary understood God enough to know. And of course, in Psalm 34, 37, the Bible tells us, fret not thyself because of evildoers. Don't get upset about seeing negative things happen to, a good, to, to, to God's people and positive things happen to the worldly people. They have a different daddy. <laughs> he said, don't, don't, don't find yourself that way. Don't make a case against God. Realize that God is the great equalizer. He puts up one. He puts down another. You can trust him. No one ever outfoxed God. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Look at the next verse, if you would please. In verse number 54, he hath opened his servant Israel. That's his people, God's people, in remembrance of his mercy. And would you read verse 55? And he spake to our fathers Abraham and his seed. Of course, God gave two things to the Jewish people. Anti-Semitism, if you just listen to any news report today, they always just say it's on the rise, it's on the rise. People, anti-Semitism, you know, no one has against the Hawaiian, <laughs> against the European, against the Spaniard, against the Jew. I wonder why that is so popular today. In many nations of the world, it's because they're God's people. And God's people gave us two things, very important. They gave us the scriptures. And they gave us our Savior, Jesus Christ. God chose to do that. He wants you to know Him. If you're here today, you're not sure if Jesus is your Savior. Why don't you say with Mary that she's my, He's my Savior too. 